at the end of um, probably one of my favorite movies, Braveheart, um, William Wallace is lying on the execution block soon to be beheaded. I figured after Daniel's PG-13 sermon last week, I could talk about beheadings. Um, But before he's beheaded, his executioners, first of all, um, torture him to try and extract a confession from him or a, or a plea for mercy. Um, even though um, we know it's just a movie watching, although it was also real life. We've been to the William Wallace Monument in Scotland. It's very cool. Um, uh, it's excruciating to watch as as the, his executioners just brutalize his body trying to get him to plead for mercy. And all the while, the crowd of English men and women are just mocking and insulting. They're throwing things at him uh, because he's their enemy and they hate him and they're just exulting in his torture. At least for a time. And it, But it's interesting, then slowly the atmosphere of the crowd begins to change as they witness his agonizing suffering. And little by little, it's, it's like they begin to see him no longer as their enemy, but as a fellow human being who is going through horrible suffering. And it's like they begin to identify with him and their hearts are changed. And instead of calling for further torment and misery, they begin little by little to call for mercy. And it begins quietly, but then kind of like a growing crescendo, uh, the crowd is mercy, mercy, mercy. It's, it's, a, it's powerful. You know, we live in a world that is so much tit for tat, isn't it? You hurt me, I hurt you. You hurt us, we hurt you. Um, kind of like I opened, uh, we want people who are enemies to pay so often. And, and our world seems to be this expanding group of enemies, uh, terrorists, ISIS. I mean, who, who even heard of the word ISIS? It wasn't that long ago, right? And now it's like strikes fear probably in most people around the world. Rapists, drunk drivers who commit vehicular homicide. Gunmen who go into schools or theaters or malls or churches and shoot innocent people. And as a result, I think we live in a world where most of us are not really living because so many of us are so filled with hurt and pain and, and, and a desire for vengeance and retribution, unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred. And, and so we're not people who are really living. Um, I'd like you to remember back, this goes back several months ago to Charleston, South Carolina. Listen to this, it says, this is the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance. She said, I forgive you. 
to the 21-year-old man who allegedly murdered her mother at Emmanuel Church and appeared at an emotionally charged video court appearance in Charleston on a Friday afternoon, two days after the horrific mass shooting there. Relatives of the Emmanuel Church victims stood up one by one in the courtroom, offering forgiveness to the man accused of murdering their sons, their mothers, <coughs> excuse me, and grandfathers in cold blood as a nation continued to call for justice. Listen to this. You took something very precious from me, but I forgive you, said Lance's daughter through tears. It hurts me. You hurt a lot of people, but may God forgive you. Speaking of her son, Twanza Sanders, who was also killed on Wednesday night trying to shield his great aunt from gunfire, Felicia Sanders said to the suspect, We welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You've killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body's hurt. I will never be the same. Alana Simmons The granddaughter of 74-year-old retired pastor Daniel Simmons stood after Sanders. Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof that they lived and loved, she said. Hate won't win. As As we read those kind of testimonies, this is the question. How or why did these family members speak in such a way to the individual who had just murdered their loved ones? How could they do that? Why did they do that? Well, shortly after the court, President Obama tweeted, the goodness and decency of the American people shines through in these families. Is that it? Is that what it is? <laughs> no way. No way. That is not what happened in the courtroom that day. It wasn't about good and decent people. It was about mercy. It was about mercy. Do you want to really live? I mean really live. A life that's free of bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and and vengeance and retribution and fear. Well, Jesus tells us how to really live. And if you turn with me now to Luke 10, we're going to read. We're coming to the, the last Sunday in this sermon series we've done called Vital Signs. Um, the last four weeks, Jesus has said, He said, if you want to really live, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let your desires be his desires. What his desires, let let those be yours. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Let your thoughts be set on things above. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. May, May the Holy Spirit be your breath, what you breathe in and out, be it. Let it be the Holy Spirit and love the Lord your God with all your strength. Let the Lord your God be your strength. And if 
If we love the Lord our God in this way, it says, Jesus says, you'll live. And now he gives us one more. Starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Well, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus said, the one who proved to be the neighbor was the one who showed mercy to the one in need. Live like this and you will really live. Show mercy as you have been shown mercy and you will really live. Um, This account is incredible. There's actually two words that can be translated mercy or compassion in this passage. The the first one is where it says in verse um, verse 32 or verse uh, verse 33 it says a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him He took pity. Um, It's my favorite Greek word. Just because of how it sounds. That's it. It's, you got to memorize this when it's good. It's splonknizamai. Isn't that cool? Splonknizamai. I mean, you could impress anybody with that. But, But what is really cool about it is what the word means. It means, literally, it means that you're 
bowels, your innards are turned inside out because you're so moved by the neediness of someone. Uh, The root word is literally innards. But the verb means that you are just... In in, um, Matthew 9, it's used of Jesus where it says he saw the crowds that they were like sheep without a shepherd and and he he was moved with compassion. Literally, it says his, his innards were just ripped apart as he saw the neediness of the people. And that's, that's how this Samaritan is described. It's like he was just, as he saw the need of this man lying there half dead, he was moved with compassion. The second word is how Jesus concludes in verse 37, where when it says, the expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And it's another word for mercy. And literally, it means kindness towards someone in a miserable condition which, which, which leads you to have to do something about their misery. You know, as we look at this story of the, the Good Samaritan, one, one thing is really clear is if we're talking about good and decent people being the point of what happened in Charleston, South Carolina, the priest and the Levite would have been those people, not the Samaritan. The Samaritan, if he had been passed on the road by the guy that's lying there half dead, a Jew, the Jew would have spit him in the face and considered the Samaritan to be a half-breed, a a scoundrel, not a decent and good person. The, The decent and good People in this story are the priest and the Levite. So what makes one person show mercy and another person pass by on the other side? That's the story. What makes one person show mercy and another person pass by on the other side? In the story of the Good Samaritan, I think Jesus gives us Three examples to answer that question. First, the priest. Why did the priest not show mercy? He, he passes by on the other side. And this is why I think he did not show mercy. It's because he was a professional. It was his job to be a priest. It was his title. It was a profession. It wasn't his life. It certainly wasn't something worth dying for, risking his life for in case the bandits who had left this guy half dead were still lurking around ready to rob somebody else and leave them half dead. It wasn't worth getting some kind of infectious disease because he had forgotten his gloves, you know, and he couldn't help the guy without maybe getting HIV or hepatitis. It wasn't worth making himself ceremonially unclean for by touching someone who might die. He was a professional. It wasn't personal. 
caring about people. For me, this was this was heavy. I mean, those of us who have titles, pastor, elder, probably should have preached this sermon before the guys decided to be new elders, maybe. Uh, pastor, elder, deacon, teacher, center supervisor, outreach worker, case manager, therapist, counselor. Those who, of us who have titles... In looking at this account of the priest, we need to make sure that we truly love those who are in need and aren't just doing a job. We're not just professionals, but we really care about persons, people. Why did the priest not show mercy? I I think it was because priest was his job. Uh, The Levite. Why did the Levite not show mercy? He looked and he crossed over to the other side and kept walking. The Levite, I think, didn't show mercy because he was religious, but he didn't really have a relationship with God. If we were to compare um, today, I would think it's what I like to call churchianity instead of Christianity. Uh, I mean, this Levite, he would have been in the synagogue whenever the doors were opened, <laughs> at every bar mitzvah. And, uh, he w- it's like today. I mean, you know, somebody that's every time the doors are open and, and serving and sacrificing, uh, he was religious, but he didn't really have a relationship with God. You know, some people are into bridge clubs. I don't even know how to play bridge. Uh, I had a friend who was really into mushrooms one time, not not the hallucinogenic kind, but <laughs> the um, I, I've had friends that you know, those kind of mushrooms too. Um, but um, <laughs> I won't go there. Okay. <laughs> um, but who were really into the edible mushrooms and part of a mushroom club. And I mean, I, mean, I have friends that are in. Rotary clubs and Kiwanis clubs and knitting clubs and car clubs. I think when we look at the Levite, we we need to make sure that church for us isn't a club. Um, That church isn't our club, but for us, it's really about following Jesus. The Samaritan. Why did the Samaritan not pass by on the other side, but show mercy. To the Jew, to a Jew, who, like I said, would have spit him in the face if he would have passed him on the street the day before. Why would the Samaritan show such a person mercy? And I think, we don't really see the answer here, but I think the answer is because somehow he himself had been a recipient of mercy. He wasn't just a good and decent guy. In fact, all the priest, the Levite, the guy he's helping would have thought him as a scoundrel. He wasn't a good and decent guy, but he was a changed guy because he himself had received mercy. Maybe it's because he'd come to realize that even though he was a Samaritan, Jesus 
loved and accepted him just as much as he did Jews. Maybe it's because he was one of the Samaritans who lived in Sychar where Jesus met the woman at the, at the well, a Samaritan, and revealed to them that he was the promised Messiah who came into the world to show mercy and offer forgiveness to everyone equally, Samaritan and Jew and Gentile. Do we, do we realize the amazing mercy that God has shown us in Jesus on the cross? God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, separated from God, rebels, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Isn't that incredible? He didn't wait for us to become good and decent people, but when we were rebels separated from him, sinners, he died for us. That's mercy. That's amazing. That we've been pardoned, that we've been forgiven through the death of Jesus on the cross, that we've been shown mercy. And if we get that, then I think what will happen, like what happened to the Samaritan on the road to Jericho, was understanding that Jesus' love and mercy to him, a Samaritan, if we get that, then we will also eagerly show mercy to others. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. It's not because someone is a good person, but because they've been a recipient of mercy that they are eager to show mercy. I tell you, I know this more than anybody else because I grew up being a good person. I mean, I grew up, my dad was a priest while he was a pastor. And I was like a good Levite. I mean, I was in the church, you know, half the time because I had to be. But, but I grew up really proud that I was, you know, this good person that was just a good person. But in my thinking I'm a good person, there was so much pride and so much self-righteousness, there was virtually no mercy. I would, I would look at people that were in any way different than me and I would judge them and I would critique them and I would evaluate them, I would condemn them because I was a good person and they were a bad person. <laughs> you know, it wasn't until God broke my self-righteousness and exposed to me that I was just as desperately needy as anyone and everyone else of his goodness and his grace in Jesus on the cross that changed me into be a person of mercy. How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? How do we show mercy if we understand God's mercy to us? A couple examples to help us maybe think a little closer to home. Let's say John is the guy at work who you can't stand. Okay. I mean, maybe nobody can stand him. I mean, he's the one who talks about you. He makes fun of you. He loves to needle you and make you the butt of his jokes. He's not a nice person. He's a bully. 
he builds himself up by tearing you down. In fact, once he almost got you fired because of a false accusation. Nobody really likes John because everyone knows that he just speaks what he, what he speaks and he doesn't care the impact or the effect on anyone else. He's totally about John. And there would be no love lost on anyone's part if John lost his job, uh, got fired. Then you hear that John was in a car accident and was hurt pretty bad. He's going to be gone for a few weeks. What's your thought? (laughs) Good riddance, John. Got what was coming. Or, God, how can I show your love to John? Sally's a lesbian and a Christian hater, and maybe with good reason, the way some Christians, or let me say church people, seem to be more haters than lovers. Sally's best friend was kicked out of her home by her Christian parents when she came out at the age of 16. And so now, Sally is pretty outspoken in her hatred for Christians. And Sally also happens to be your neighbor. And then you hear that Sally contracted HIV, which has progressed to AIDS. And she's sick and angry and dying. No love lost on Sally. She got what was coming to her. Or God, how can I show your love to Sally? Who do we find it? Who who do you find it hardest to love? Someone different than you? Someone who's a threat to you? Someone who's hurt you or someone you love or someone you care about? The bad people? The terrorists? Um, Not someone good and decent like us. When we want to show them mercy, and that's the key word, when we want to show them mercy. Micah 6.8 says, what does God require of us but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. When we, when we love mercy, when we want to show mercy, then we are loving our neighbor as ourselves. And we show that we get how much God has shown mercy to us. Why show mercy? Jesus said, because if we do it, we'll live. It's the path to living. It's the path where there's no unforgiveness. There's no bitterness, no hatred, no holding a grudge, no taking into account a wrong suffered. There's freedom to live because we're living in the thick of how much mercy God has shown to us and allowing that mercy to overflow to others. You know, it could be mercy to, to a kid this Friday night at a night of Thanksgiving. Uh, it could be to your neighbor or to that John at work. Dear people, why don't we show mercy And I think the simple answer is because we 
either despise or we don't understand the cross. Daryl read it earlier that he who was rich, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, God of the universe, he who is rich for our sakes became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. So we can revel in our riches and say, to hell with everybody else who is poor? No. So that, so that in our riches in Christ, we could become poor so that others could become rich, right? That's what it means to love our neighbor. Have you received God's mercy offered to you through the death of Jesus on the cross? I mean, that's maybe the most important question. Have you yourself received God's gift of mercy offered to you freely? Whoever you are, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. Offered freely to you through Jesus' death on the cross if you haven't, I would love to talk to you. One of, the, one of the elders would love to talk to you and just offer you the mercy that Jesus offers you. If you have, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the incredible mercy God has shown you? And as a result, are not showing mercy to others? Let's remember the Good Samaritan. Let's remember God's mercy. Let's show others the same mercy and live and really live. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you so much for your incredible mercy to us that when we were still sinners, Jesus, you went to the cross for us. The innocent perfect Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sins. Oh, Father, open our eyes to see and remember, be amazed and overwhelmed so in the same way we would be incredible avenues, instruments of your mercy in a world that so desperately needs it. Amen.